Well, good morning again, Hope. Merry Christmas and happy almost New Year. It is still the Christmas season. As you can see, we still have our painting up from the Christmas Eve service. And some of us still might be in that cookie Christmas goodie type coma. I am. I'm Laura, I'm the intern pastor here, and I just again want to say that we are really glad that you are here. We believe it's no accident that you are here. Um, We've been praying for you, and we just hope that you feel welcome here, and that you can feel God's presence here, and just know that you're welcomed and that you're loved here. Did you all have a good Christmas? Yeah? Yeah? I'm really glad I didn't hear any no's. That would be kind of sad. Uh, my fiance and I, we had a good Christmas, and I think we might have started a new tradition by having sushi on Christmas Eve. We were hungry at a quarter to nine, and there weren't a lot of options, but it, <laughs> it filled us up and it was good. So I do hope that you got to enjoy time with family and friends and um, maybe start some new traditions or remember some old ones. And since it still is Christmas, I thought that we could have one more Christmas song. Who enjoys Christmas movies? If you didn't raise your hand, that would be bad, because everyone should enjoy Christmas movies. Did you guys watch them this year? Yeah? I watch one every year um, since I was a kid. It's my favorite. It's Muppet Christmas Carol. It is good. Um, And this song um, is from it. And for those of you who don't know the story of A Christmas Carol, it's about this gentleman named Ebenezer Scrooge. And at the beginning of the movie, he's not very nice. He's kind of mean and cold and harsh, and he has nothing to do with Christmas. But he gets visited by three ghosts, and they show him the meaning of Christmas, and they give him this opportunity to change his life for the better. And um, this song is from when he is visited by the ghost of Christmas present, and he gets to experience Christmas morning through this song. And although some of the characters might look a little bit silly, I want you to pay attention to the song lyrics. Let's take a look. Are you paying attention to some of those lyrics? It feels like Christmas wherever you find love. This is the season of the heart, a special time of caring, the ways of love made clear. At the Christmas Eve service, we hear what the angels said to the shepherds, do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. How much clearer could God's love be? That is the message, that he is here. And that's what we're supposed to make clear all year. But in the days and the weeks that follow Christmas, how well do we do that? How often do we let the roller coaster of the Christmas season end on the 26th or the 31st? Christmas is a time when heaven and earth meet in this one child, Jesus. The kingdom of heaven and the world we live in collide, and we are left to respond. So what do we do? More importantly, What story do we continue to listen to? The story that the shepherds were telling that night or the story the world is telling? For the past several weeks, as John mentioned in the announcements, we have been going through the story, 31 of the most impactful stories from the Bible in chronological order. 
We took a break the last couple of weeks to tell the Christmas story, but we had just finished with chapter 13, the king who had it all, King Solomon. Do you remember Solomon's story? He started out really great, but he didn't finish so well. Solomon was David's son, chosen to be king after him. And then God comes to visit Solomon in a dream and tells Solomon that he can ask for whatever he wants. So Solomon asks for wisdom, so he can discern right from wrong and administer justice in his kingdom. God is pleased with this request, and along with wisdom, grants Solomon vast amounts of wealth and peace during his reign. There's just one problem. Solomon has one wives too many. Scripture tells us 700. I don't know if you caught that part at the end of chapter 13, but it tells us he had 700 wives. And for me, that's just kind of hard to comprehend. Is there like one a week, or do you, do you have to wear name tags? But these wives are from foreign lands, and they bring their own religious traditions. And Solomon's heart gets turned away from God and to these foreign gods and these foreign religious practices. Because of this, God tells Solomon that his kingdom will be torn away from him and given to somebody who is serving under him. And that is where we pick up chapter 14 this week. Now the story, it skips over the adversaries that rose up during the end of Solomon's lifetime. And there were a lot of them. But in the italicized paragraph at the beginning of chapter 14, um, it, you hear about this man named Jeroboam who serves under Solomon and the prophet Ahijah. Now Ahijah tells Jeroboam that 10 tribes will be given to him, but the tribe of Judah will remain under the house of David. Are we still following here? Here's a quick recap. So up until this point, in the story, the kingdom of Israel has been united. All the 12 tribes were together. If you remember the 12 sons of Jacob, they are the 12 tribes that form this kingdom. So under King David and King Solomon, there was one kingdom, all 12 tribes united. But now, because Solomon's heart has been turned away from God, the kingdom of Israel is in trouble. And all of this brings us to our reading today about the young Rehoboam. And our scripture began, that was read very well, you did those names quite well, <laughs> um, with the first part of chapter 12. Rehoboam went to Shechem, where all had, of Israel had gathered to make him king. Now it wasn't that Rehoboam had to be elected to be king, but this was a tradition to officially recognize him as king by the people. It's kind of similar to our presidential inauguration. But to add some tension to what I would call awkwardness, the people tell Jeroboam, that guy who had been told that he'll gain more than half the kingdom of Israel, they tell him what's happening at Shechem, and he shows up. Can you imagine the tension between the two leaders? Let me take a second and think about the two QBs from Iowa and Iowa State. Or if you're where from I'm from, it's the Gophers and the Badgers. And there's this big border battle, inner school rivalry 
There's a big game every year. So here are the QBs at the 50-yard line, and they're just face to face. And you have everybody in the crowd just watching what's going to happen. And it's just tension and noise. And you got one king, and the guy that might be king just right there. And let's add some more suspense to this. The recognition of kingship, all those Israelites that had come to recognize Rehoboam, they bring a, a complaint and a request. They ask Rehoboam to reconsider some of the policies that Solomon had. Solomon had forced upon them harsh labor and harsh working conditions for all these building projects and such that, you know, like the building of the temple. So they ask Rehoboam to lighten the load. Say, hey, you let up a little bit on this and we'll be loyal to you. That's all we're asking. And to me, it seems like a pretty fair request. But Rehoboam has to think about this. So he sends the people away for three days so he can consult his advisors. And I imagine it was a bit like the million dollar question from who wants to be a millionaire. But this is more like who wants to be a good king. In Rehoboam's head is the question, do I lighten the people's load or do I not? If I lighten the load, I'm assured loyalty. They have told me, you lighten our load, we will be loyal to you and serve you. If not, there's this Jeroboam guy and there's a pretty high chance of rebellion. So what does Rehoboam do? He does what we might do when faced with such a difficult decision. He phones a friend for their advice. And in this case, he phones a couple of friends. First, he goes to the elders who had served with his father. And they tell him to listen to the people. Then he goes to his friends and the other young men that he had grown up with. And they tell him to increase the burden on the people. To show that he is greater than his father. Such contrasting advice. Two different paths. Opposite paths, pretty much. On one side, you have the elders. And their advice is fair towards the people. It seems like what a good and just king would do, to listen to his people so that they will be loyal. And standing on this side, we have his friends. who said, no, 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 no. You gotta, you gotta show them that you're king. You gotta show them that you're boss. You know, you gotta show them that you're better than your dad. Which, I mean, it's pretty hard, it's Solomon. So who does he listen to? Who does he decide to go with? The young men, his friends, that he grew up with. Rehoboam tells the Israelites that instead of listening to their request, he will increase their burden and increase their harsh labor. The Israelites have a response for Rehoboam as well. Let's turn to page 194 in the story. It's going to be towards the top of your page there. Let's read this response together. Actually, it starts at the bottom of 194 and goes up to 195. And they responded, What share do we have in David? This is done. There we go. To your tents, Israel. Look after your own house, David. They revolt. And Rehoboam loses, excuse me, the majority of his kingdom the ten tribes that Ahijah predicted to Jeroboam. His kingdom, the kingdom of David and Solomon, has been torn in two. 
And there's a map up there, and I'm gonna try and stand under here. That green part on top, that's where the 10 tribes go with Jeroboam. That's the Northern Kingdom. And then that purple at the bottom there, that's Judah, that's the Southern Kingdom. And that is the kingdom that stays under the house of David. That's Rehoboam's territory. But this tearing in two, this splitting of what was once united, I think that's how we feel in our lives sometimes when we are faced with choices that place the kingdom of heaven and the ways of the world in front of us, and we have to choose. We feel like we are literally at a crossroads. The way of the world or the way of the kingdom? And again, I ask, which story do we follow? The story that God is writing or the story that the world is writing? So how do we define what is a kingdom way? And how do we define what is a worldly way? And don't get confused, like the people over here aren't like all good in the kingdom and you guys are like all over in the world. It's just for dramatic emphasis. Where do we start? Let's turn to page 180 in the story, or if you are in the Abundant Life Bible, page 482. We're gonna look at a proverb. It's probably one that everybody, well, I shouldn't say everybody, that most people know. Um, it's kind of on the middle of page 180 if you're in the story. And it should be on the left side of the page if you're in the Abundant Life Bible on page 482. It's Proverbs 3, verses 5 and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways submit to him, and he will make your paths straight. Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways submit to him, and he will make your paths straight. It begins when we place our trust in God. When we trust that he has our best intentions in his heart. When we trust that God wants us to have a life that is good, full, and abundant. It is a life where we have stopped second-guessing ourselves and our decisions because we are relying on the God that gave his life for us so that our path would be straight. Jesus tells us that he is the way, the truth, and the life. It's on the banner right there. Jesus told them, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And I say, who better to look to when we feel torn about the decisions we have to make in this life? But what does all this mean? I can tell you every verse in the Bible. I can tell you tell you to reference this scripture, reference that one. But no amount of scripture is necessarily going to help you, or you might not even remember them when you're faced with that decision, the way of the kingdom or the way of the world. But I can tell you what will be there for you, and that is the knowledge that resides deep inside you, deep in your heart and deep in your soul, that God is with you and that you never walk alone, that he loved you so radically that he stands by your side and offers you his hand and he says, come with me, 
rely on me. Because my love and my grace are bigger and more powerful than anything that this world can offer you. If you go to Hope's website and you look at the mission, vision, and values section, the first value listed, number one, states, Jesus is life, and the rest is details. And we say that at Hope because we know that each day, every one of us are confronted with worldly ways and kingdom ways. And it's that feeling of being torn in two. But if Jesus is, if Jesus is life, if he is the center, if Jesus is the one we place our faith in, then we can see clearly which way to go because he is the light that will shine brightly through the darkness and cast away the shadows that can cloud our vision. And all of this sounds really, really good on paper. Sounds like you would, what you would hear any preacher say on a Sunday morning. And some of you have. You can say to me, yeah, placing my trust in God and putting Jesus at the center, it's, it's important and it's all well and good. Yeah, it's, it's well and good that Jesus is life. I, I, I get that. But what, but what does this trust, what does this faith produce? Paul tells us in his letter to the Galatians. Paul writes, but the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. There is no law against these things. Think back to Rehoboam and the decision he had to make in regards to the Israelites. They had told him, your father put a heavy yoke on us, but now lighten the harsh labor and lighten the burden of labor and work, and in turn, receive our loyalty. He had the opportunity to show love and kindness, to show goodness and gentleness, but he chose not to. It might have been his pride or his desire to be greater than his father. I couldn't tell you. But when it comes to us, when we are faced with those decisions, I think it comes down to two things. Our desire to be in control of our lives or that we spend so much of our energy holding on to things that just put up stumbling blocks to the path God has laid before us that we are afraid to let them go. And there are so many things that we can hold on to. And it is usually a habit, a hurt, or an emotion. It could be the habit of gossiping, holding a grudge. It could be pride or the need to be right in an argument. But whatever it is, there is a kingdom way and there is a worldly way. A few months ago, I got into a pretty intense argument with a very good friend of mine. And I can tell you that I was hurt and upset and she was hurt and upset and it got pretty intense. And I tend to be a little bit stubborn. And I just felt this need to be right. It's like, I gotta be right. 
And I came really close to losing the friendship. I wanted to be right. And the way of the world would tell me to hold on to my hurt, to hold on to it and let that motivate my actions. It would tell me, Laura, you be right and just, just walk away. You know, you're hurt, you're upset, just walk. But the way of the kingdom, which isn't always the easiest way, it isn't always the easiest path to choose. The way of the kingdom tells me to practice forgiveness towards those that have hurt me and to offer them grace and love. So I had a choice. Here was my crossroads. To stay hurt and walk away from the friendship, a good friend of mine for years, she had been there when I had needed her, you know, and she was at a point in her life where she needed me. I could have walked and held on to that hurt. Or I could have practiced forgiveness and grace and see what happened. The way of the kingdom isn't always the easiest way, but it is one that in the end I can guarantee you is far better. I still have my friend, and in fact, she's a bridesmaid in my wedding. And it wasn't easy to walk that kingdom way, but I am so grateful that I did, because I still have my friend. And I got to practice forgiveness and grace. So I have two questions for you this morning. What are you holding on to? And why aren't you letting it go? There is a quote by Oscar Wilde, a 19th century author, that I like because it reminds me of one of the reasons that I struggle to let things go. Wilde writes, there is a luxury in self-reproach. When we blame ourselves, we feel that no one else has a right to blame us. Isn't he right on target? At least for me, he is. I can get so caught up in clinging to guilt or to shame because I don't want God to know. More importantly, I don't want to feel like a kid in the corner. I can get so caught up that I can forget the freedom that there is in letting it go. When I let go and lay whatever it is at the foot of the cross, I am laying it where it belongs. I am freeing myself to see clearer, and I am placing my trust in the right place. So what is it for you this morning? What devils or sins are catching you up that you need to lay at the foot of the cross right where it belongs? A few years ago, almost 10 years ago now, the movie Luther came out, the biography of Martin Luther, and by now, those of you who have known me know that he's my favorite church reformer. And in this movie, they show some of his sermons. In this clip is Luther describing how he used to view God. He was holding on to an image of God that prevented him from seeing the difference in his own life between kingdom and worldly ways. As you watch the clip, pay attention to the way that Satan would want you to view God and live versus how we can live because we have Christ. Let's take a look. For I know one who suffered and made satisfaction on my behalf. His name is Jesus Christ, Son of God. Where he is, there I shall be also. That 
is the way of the kingdom. That is the way of life that we can walk, that we have a savior that died for us so that we could live, a savior who is right at our side so that we do need, need not walk alone in this world. We need not face those tough decisions by ourselves. We can let go of whatever it is that we're holding on to. We can live kingdom ways that produce the good, tangible fruits in our lives of love and of joy, of peace and patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Because we have the Holy Spirit working in us. I think 2 Corinthians 5.17 says it best. This means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone, and a new life has begun. As the new year approaches, how many of you make New Year's resolutions? I, I, okay, good, I'm not alone here. It is a time where we can reflect on the kind of person we want to be, how we want our actions and decisions to reflect our faith by showing these fruits of the Spirit. So how about this year? Instead of trying to take on more, we surrender more to God so he has room to fill us up with love and grace and joy and kindness. What if we surrendered 15 or 20 minutes a day to him for prayer, devotion, and Bible reading so that we can deepen our relationship with him? Sounds pretty good to me. So my friends, this morning I ask you, who are you listening to? The way of the world will come loudly knocking and yelling. And we can still feel torn when the kingdom of God collides with this world. And the kings that we will read about in the story, they have the same choice over and over again. To listen to the way of the kingdom or listen to the way of the world. Some of them will listen to the kingdom and follow God's path for them, but many of them will not. But for us, there is good news. It is still Christmas, and that Savior still comes to us. He comes humbly, and he comes gently. He comes to be with us and to walk with us, and he comes to hold us together. Christ came as a light that shone through the darkness and the noise of this world. He calmly and softly calls to us. He calls us to a life that is abundant in love and in joy and in grace, a life that is full. It is a life that will be against every reason of this world. But it's a life that I can promise you is lived with a God and a Savior that is completely devoted to you and to me. So let us stand together and worship this God.